Wild types. Wildlife. <laughs> Welcome back to Following the Tracks. I'm Sammy Shimoda. And I'm Giselle Ray. And our guest today is... Frankie! Yay! Garland! Woo! <laughs> I'm excited to be here. Yay! Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm 25. I'm a female living <laughs> in Minnesota. Yay! All right. I'm a, a avid intro birder. Yep. You are. Blue Jay noise. Ah! <laughs> That's alright. Ah! I'm sorry, I didn't do it so good. <laughs> and I work for a startup. Yeah, tell us what you do. I it's work very interesting. For Living Carbon. Wow. It's a startup based in San Francisco. And uh, we we put some trees in the ground. And- we love that. Oh, love that. That helps. Yeah. It's good for the earth. Yep. An update regarding the last episode. On February 10th, wolves were put back on the endangered species list in 44 states. That is good, right? Yeah, wow. Yeah, that's really good. The federal judge on the case ruled that the Trump administration broke the law when they removed them from the endangered species list. The U.S. District Judge Jeffrey S. White of Northern California wrote that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, quote, failed to adequately analyze and consider the impacts of partial delisting and historical range loss on the already listed species. The population census used to justify the delisting was poorly conducted and based solely on wolves in the Midwest. But now they're back and protected in most of the U.S., although it doesn't protect them in a few key states like Wyoming, Montana, and Idaho, states known to strongly dislike the presence of wolves. And it's pretty controversial still to not have them listed in those states because of the big fights between people for and against wolves. Mm. A lot of the scientists... Uh, wildlife scientists, especially in Yellowstone National Park, mm-hmm. are for putting them back on the endangered species list in those states because of the high kill rates, I guess you could say, of wolves in those states and the importance of wolves in the ecosystems of those states. Mm. So, wow. but you know, the states claim that the population is big enough in those states that they need to manage them. Mm-hmm. And mm. I am not an expert on this. So, no, yeah. I lived in Wyoming. <laughs> so it's rough and tough out there. Yeah, <laughs> rough and tough. Cow. Rough and tough. So the paper we're going to be covering today is called "Camouflage Mismatch in Seasonal Coat Color Due to Decreased Snow Duration" by L. Scott Mills, Marquita Zimova, Jared Euler, Stephen Running, John T. Abatzoglu, and Paul M. Lukacs. It was published on April 30th in 2013 in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences in the United States of America, Volume 10, Number 18. Wow. I'm glad you guys read that. <laughs> Not me. Yeah. Some names I can't pronounce. Before getting into the paper, we're going to have a little background of Snowshoe Hairs by Giselle. Yes. Okay. So, brief background on Snowshoe Hairs. So they're found throughout northern boil forests in North America and in the Rockies and in the Appalachian Mountains. They're nocturnal, so they're mostly active at night, but that doesn't mean you'll never see them in the daytime. Snowshoe hares get their name from their large feet that helps them to hop on top of the snow like they're wearing snowshoes. Um, Very fitting. They first mate in the springtime, and they have two to three litters of two to four leverets, which are their babies. The hares are a great and abundant food source for many animals, like the Canadian lynx, great horned owls, foxes, northern goshawks are a few of their main ones. 
They camouflage themselves in the summertime with their brown coat, and in the fall, they shed their brown fur for an almost purely white coat, except for they have a black tip at the end. Why? Do you Why? Think? Why? Tell me right now. <laughs> it's so, if you're a predator and you see a speck of black in the snow, you're going to attack that speck of black, but it's this animal's tail, so you're not going to get the animal. So the an- so the snowshoe hare is essentially throwing off its predators. That's It makes the tail the target. It's kind yeah. of like a lure, like in fishing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you want to know a fact? Yes, tell me a fact. So, it's not about... <laughs> it's not about hairs. Okay. okay. So I learned we planting we're planting trees in the Appalachia. Nice. Uh huh. And I didn't know you pronounce it Appalachia instead of Appalachia. Oh. Well, yeah. I okay. Guess when you're those in Appalachia uh-huh. say Appalachia. I okay. Think those not say Appalachian, and I always said Appalachian. Like really no. growing so up. So they don't even say the N. No, it's just Appalachia. Okay. Let me so say my sentence. If we're <laughs> reaching those in Appalachia, we see you. <laughs> we see you and we understand your you. pronunciation. Yes. <laughs> um us northerners. Yep. Yes. So snowshoe hares. They're similar to rabbits, but they have bigger feet and bigger ears. And something important, especially given this research paper, is that unlike rabbits, they're born exposed in nature. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're put to the test right away at birth. So they're very different than their similar species, like rabbits that we're used to. Yeah, kind of like a fawn. Yes, like a, yeah, like a deer. What? They're born and their eyes are open and they got to be ready to face the world. Take on yeah. the, take on the challenges of mother owls. nature. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Because rabbits are born usually like in a... And not nest. a den, but well, yeah. Well, it's like a tiny little, tiny little Like a thing. burrow. Yeah. yeah. And they're born with their eyes closed, naked. And afraid. And afraid. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. And litter. So, oh. Yeah. Oh. Born in a litter. <laughs> I guess that's wow. like dogs. Um, animal puns. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Didn't think about those before. <laughs> so they have a lot of exposure to nature right away. So yeah. they're it's a harsh vital, world. yeah, vital for them to, to camouflage themselves. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And um, before getting into the paper, there's some important terms to know. We're going to dive back into biology, and I'm going to give you some definitions of important words. That's great, because <laughs> Frank and I are not biologists. I'm confused. And I will <laughs> also put them in the show notes, so <laughs> listeners can go back or just have Frank. them up. <laughs> so listeners and Frank can refer back to them throughout the podcast. Our first term is phenology. The definition is the timing of events during the year in environments where seasonal changes occur. Some examples of this include hibernation and mating. Question. Yes. Is phenology used in more than just wildlife or is it just like a wildlife term? When I'm talking about trees, <laughs> can I say like phenology? Yeah, I think it's a it's a word in biology. It's seasonal. And and I think plants fall under biology. Right. Yeah. Another yeah. example of phenology is migration. Mig- yeah, 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 for sure. Birds. 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 Ah! <laughs> nice. I love that. Blue jay. <laughs> oh, I was gonna say crow. Oh. It's okay. They're all corv- they're all corvids, so there you go. Right, <laughs> corvids. <laughs> Silly weird. <laughs> uh, our next t- term to know is phenotype. 
which is an observable trait of an individual. Some examples would be hair color or eye color, just any trait that is observable to the eye like that you can see. Like the fact that I'm 25. <laughs> <laughs> That's not, Yeah, not, not, not. No, I mean, maybe a little a bit, you know, yeah, like wrinkles. Or you could know, like, okay, <laughs> Sammy. Chapped lips. I'm just okay. kidding. Cut that out. Didn't come to this podcast to be attacked. <laughs> Polyphenism describes the variation for different phenotypes that can arise from a certain gene based on different environmental conditions. An example of this is the sex of sea turtles determined by the environmental temperature. No way. Way. That's why it's climate change also super affects sea turtles. A lot more females are being born now than males, and so there's a real problem with females being able to find a mate. Wow, that is very interesting. Yeah, so then you wonder how they'll evolve from that. Right. Yeah. Asexual? Um, I mean, yeah. maybe not turtles. Well, I mean, we saw that in the California electric. condor recently. What? Oh, yeah. What? Asexual reproduction. I They're forgot now about asexual? That. Well, no, nobody knew that they were. Oh. And then all of a sudden, in a zoo that they had, they had a California condor. Did they only It laid one? eggs. And, oh. Which, birds lay eggs. But not without fertilized Yeah. Sometimes. And these ones actually developed. And so. Pretty cool. So one bird was able to lay it and fertilize it. Yeah. Yeah. By yeah. herself. They're becoming plants. <laughs> the f- future is female. The future, yeah, is female. future is female. There you go. Sorry, every man listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> no, not, not sorry. sorry. <laughs> uh, Take that back to zone. True. <laughs> uh, phenotypic plasticity, the ability of an organism to change in response to stimuli in the environment. The change can be in their behavior, how they look, or even the animal size. In ecology, there's Bergman's rule. It's a phenomenon in regard to an animal's body size. White-tailed deer, for example, on average, uh, have a smaller mass the further south you go towards the equator. And this is thought to be because it takes less energy to cool a smaller body, so it would be a... They're, like, evolving to their environment. Yeah, exactly. The species Uh, is changing to the environment that they're around. Yeah, and that's, that's phenotypic plasticity is the organism changing in response to its environment. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then our last one is fitness, which is the ability of an individual to produce viable offspring relative to others of the same species, or in other words, an animal's success at surviving and reproducing in comparison to those of the same species. So it's like you and I competing to have more kids. Watch out. (laughs) More more kids and more healthy kids to pass our genes on. Yep. Right. Exactly. I got good genes. Multiple pairs. <laughs> like maybe 40. Multiple washes. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta pass those on. All right. Uh, now on to the abstract of the paper. Most examples of seasonal mismatches in phenology span multiple trophic levels, with timing of animal reproduction, hibernation, or migration becoming detached from peak food supply. The consequences of such mismatches are difficult to link to specific future climate change scenarios because the responses across the trophic levels have complex underlying climate drivers often confounded by other stressors. In contrast, seasonal coat color polyphenism creating camouflage against snow is a direct and potentially severe type of seasonal mismatch if crypsis becomes compromised by the animal being white when snow is absent. Okay, wait, crypsis. What? Crypsis. So crypsis is just like ability to hide okay oh i see so Mm -hmm. 
Crypsis is the ability of an animal or a plant to avoid observation or detection by other animals. So it's like can you see camouflage. It's like <laughs> Wikipedia. <laughs> it's like a cam- fancy word for camouflage. Oh. It is unknown whether plasticity in the initiation or rates of coat color change will be able to reduce mismatch between the seasonal coat color and an increasingly snow-free background. We find that natural populations of snowshoe hares exposed to three years of widely varying snowpack have plasticity in the rates of the spring white to brown mold, but not in either of the initiation dates of color change or the rates of the fall to brown white mold. Using an ensemble of locally downscaled climate projections, we also show that annual average duration of snowpack is forecast to decrease by 29 to 35 days by mid-century and 40 to 69 days by the end of the century. Without evolution in coat color phenology, the reduced snow duration will increase the number of days that white hairs will be mismatched on a snowless background by four to eightfold by the end of the century. This novel and visually compelling climate change-induced stressor likely applies to more than nine widely distributed mammals with seasonal coat color. Oh, so this is like affecting other mammals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not just the hairs. It's not just so, the hairs, it's every animal that has a coat uh, winter coat Seasonal color, yeah. change. Like mm-hmm. ptarmigans? Yep, exactly. The little birds? Yeah. They're like little grouses? Yeah, they kind of look like grouses. Probably Arctic other types fox. of rabbits, right? No? Do they change? There's Arctic fox, no, there's Siberian some. hamster. Fleming, or lemmings. lemmings. Siberian <laughs> hamster. What? <laughs> weasels. Weasels, oh, long-tailed. Weasels. Sh- mountain hares. Oh, we're talking about a lot of stuff here. Yeah. What was I saying? <clears throat> Snowshoe hares is, like, most notable for people to, like, for no. regular. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I thought you were saying no. Me too. <laughs> I was like, like, what? No. <laughs> not true, Giselle. I think that's pretty true. Okay, anyway. Yeah. Snowshoes are, like, the most known. Like, yeah. no one's, like, looking at a Siberian hamster. And they're like, oh, shoot. Well, yeah. Like, most I mean, people. are, like, oh, shoot. They're, most of these yeah. animals are, like, way up, you know, in Alaska or Siberia. Know, Scandinavia. Yeah. So, like, yeah. people might not be familiar with them or people have no idea what ptarmigan is. This paper presents the concern that climate change is going to reduce the number of days with snow cover in the snowshoe hare's habitat. The ability of the snowshoe hare to adapt to this rapidly changing environmental aspect that is key to their survival is unknown. The seasonal coat color change is likely regulated by photoperiod, or the length of days. This implication will have immediate negative effects on the fitness and population persistence of the hares, which leads researchers to wonder if there is any plasticity in the molting start dates and the rate of the molt. So molting start rate and rate of molt. Like molting start. The day the, the molt starts and then the rate What's of rate? change. Oh, so how fast it takes yeah. them to yeah. molt. Mm-hmm. All right. Exactly. I'm here for it. Great dissection. Thank yes. you. Uh, it is also important to note that the snowshoe hares are not the only animal faced with this issue. The paper states that there are likely more than nine species of mammals affected by a lack of snow cover, including the Arctic fox and the long-tailed weasel. They chose to focus on the snowshoe hare for this project because they are a key prey species in the North American ecosystem and are highly relied upon by the Canada lynx. Sounds like a hockey team. <laughs> the snowshoe hares versus the, the Canada, Canada lynx. <laughs> in the showdown of the, the snowdown of the century. <laughs> nice. There you go. The author highlights an important aspect of the snowshoe hare's survivability in the paper which is that predation has an overwhelming influence on an individual behavior of the hare and the population dynamic of the species. 
The author provides the behavioral example that snowshoe hares tend to avoid canopy gaps with dense forests to evade predators. But predators serve as a strong influence on the hare's seasonal camouflage. As the author notes, the hares have adapted to the snow cover duration of the region they're in. Given that their habitat in Alaska versus their habitat in the Appalachian Mountains will have a different average of days with snow cover, as well as an average start date for snow cover. So yeah. that's meaning like that, okay, they're all snow hares, but mm-hmm. there's some in Appalachia and then there's some like way more north. Mm-hmm. And they're different, like, they molt at different times, or, like, their rate of molt is happening at yeah. different times. Yep, because, like, in Alaska, their winters are going to be longer. Way longer, yeah. Than Pennsylvania or Pennsylvania. Yeah. It is possible that natural selection can pressure snowshoe hares to change their seasonal coat, but researchers believe a faster solution to closing the mismatch window would be through plasticity in the initiation molt date or in the rate of the color change. And that's what the authors of this paper set out to find. They investigated if the hare's current level of plasticity will be able to adjust to the future's increasingly snowless habitat. So, So, okay, they're questioning if it's going to be, if they're going to change their molt molt date or if they're going to change their rate. Both. Both. So, like, are they able to adapt not only to when the days are getting, like, shorter. Less snow. Yeah, but are they also being, wait, how am I trying to explain this? Yeah, they're seeing if they have any flexi- like, any other sensory to, like, other environmental- Changes. Changes, other than photo period, to oh. see if there's any, like, other- rather than just photo period, they're kind of seeing if there's any other environmental aspect or pressure that is causing this change. Like, if they can, like, if temperature plays any role in it, or if sex, or if- snow cover like if they can perceive snow cover yeah like if they can recognize if there's snow on the ground like can they rapidly change change? yeah so like is their duration of changing their color shorter once they realize they are not matching their background so they're trying to figure out if like the hairs can actually figure that out and change like within their life yeah but then there's even more than that yeah also can they change just due to temperature are there other factors that they can change because can't like bears or something isn't there something like the bears in hibernation like they can feel yeah or they like know well, that's when like, it's cold enough or warm enough or like whatever yeah that's like Going animal just instinct so yeah. that's like these snowshoe hares they have their instinct well i mean is their instinct going to change them yeah right and it's looking at behavior too like can their behavior help yes. them with this mismatch can can they make a co- like a conscious like, effort yeah, yeah. Conscious. if they're white like, in a, yeah. in do a they, brown background do they know that they stick out and right because one of the snowshoe hares how they behave um with predation is they rely a lot on their camouflage mm-hmm. when they sense a predator around they stay absolutely still Be- so they know that that staying still is helping them. And that's just insane. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. So maybe this could also happen. Now, to evaluate the plasticity of these traits, researchers studied 148 different snowshoe hares over the span of three winters, from 2010 to 2012, in the U.S. northern Rockies and Montana. Once a hare was captured, they fit it with a transmitter that would allow them to later track and find those hares. When the molting period started, they tracked down every hair each week and observed how far into the molting process it was and the amount of snow cover that surrounded the animal. And they also did that when 
the molting period started in the spring. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they pretty much took a picture and kind of evaluated. You know, they looked at, they found the hair. They said, you know, what stage is it in? Mm-hmm. And what's the environment around it? Okay. Sure. Uh, both spring and fall. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, okay, and 148 winter. hairs. Like, to me, like, initially, I was like, that's not a lot. Like, that's a small sample size. But then mm-hmm. I was like... Oh, like, they have to go track these down. <laughs> yeah. Like, it seems like a lot of labor. They can't just, like, ask them so, to participate. <laughs> do you feel like is 148, enough. is it enough to actually, like, publish yes. a result? So, actually, you only need a sample size of 31. It's, uh, like, mathematically proven you need a sample size of 31 to ah. get a, enough samples to an accurate result. I see. That's good to know. And they actually didn't have 148 rabbits throughout those three winters. It was, like, varying numbers throughout, but 148 total. For comparison, in Minnesota, during high population years, researchers estimate there are about 3,400 hares per square mile. Okay. That's a lot. So. But if you do 148 over, like, a lot of different places. There's a lot, but yeah, that's a a big pool of of hares. Right. Mm -hmm. So, during the three winters they collected the data, the author reported that, quote, the three winters we sampled exposed the color polyphenism to drastic differences in snow amount and duration that approached the extremes of the recent past and to a lesser extent the future. They found that even with vastly different environmental conditions each winter, the initiation dates for fall and spring molts were fixed, as well as the rate of color change in the fall. But in the spring, they found that there was plasticity in the rate of color change. In the three years with a longer snow season, the white to brown molt took longer. They also found that females completed the spring molt about 11 days faster than the males. Oh. So in the, in the yeah. winter, is the same, but in the spring, it wasn't? Yeah, so it seems like they found that there was no flexibility or plasticity whatsoever in the fall. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's like instinctual of well, anticipating the season that's coming and not wanting to be delayed late. yeah I mean, and then like in the spring it's like you can kind of figure yeah. out when it's gonna or do you think like the season of winter is starting at the same time every year where spring isn't anymore i mean like given right, like that's given, the thing changing well, on, yeah on either side on both sides of winter, spring and fall, there's less snow. That's, okay. That's what so, I wonder. It's like, we're okay. losing snow days. Is it, uh, yeah. It's even on both, on both sides. sides? Okay. So, um, wait, what about the females versus males thing? To answer these questions, I reached out to Dr. Marquita Zimova, an expert in quantifying consequences of climate change for wildlife populations and understanding the potential for evolutionary change to facilitate adaptation to climate change-related stressors. In response to our question, why is there plasticity on the spring molt and not the fall molt? This was her response, quote, There is phenotypic plasticity in both spring and fall, but we do find greater plasticity in the spring in all species that we looked at, snowshoe hares, mountain hares, and arctic foxes, up to three weeks in the spring and up to 10 days in the fall. I'm not sure why that is, but it might have to do with the greater predictability of snow changes in the spring. Snow usually melts gradually in the spring, while in the fall there is often not a gradual buildup of snow, so there might not have been a strong pressure on evolution of plasticity. But truly, we don't know. In response to our other question, why do females molt faster in the spring than males? This was her response. Quote, There is not much difference in plasticity between sexes. 
In the PNAS paper, we accidentally reported a greater change in females, which was a mistake, and we published a correction to that paper. End quote. Which means that there wasn't really a difference between the molt rates of females versus males. So even with this bit of flexibility in the spring, it won't be enough for the snowshoe hare. Based on future snow models under a medium-low emissions scenario, the duration of winter snowpack will shorten by 29 days mid-century, and it will be 40 days shorter by late century. It is important to remember that the climate data used is 10 years old now, and warming and greenhouse gas emission rates have increased exponentially since then, so it's very likely that the winter snowpack duration will be even shorter than this paper is predicting. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. It's only going to get worse. It's only going to get worse. Unless companies like Living Carbon plug. sequester more carbon yeah that would be helpful super important so giselle and sammy is there any hope for the snowshoe hair (gasps) dun 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 we can help them maybe we can well a human voting let's vote use less waste stuff like that reduce your carbon footprint well luckily since they have a fast reproductive rate there is a chance that they will be able to survive a rapidly changing climate It is likely that the population will suffer a decline quite a bit, but with pressure of predation, over time the hares that molt later in the fall and earlier in the spring will be favored, but it may be possible that they just stop completely molting altogether in regions that Mm. quit seeing a consistent snowpack. Do you know if there are any conservation efforts to assist the snowshoe hares in their quest to molt? At the moment, they're is not there have been talks of manual translocation so like Mm. so like like shipping them well like yeah i don't know or not not exactly for snowshoe hares but they but for other animals that like there's the long-tailed weasel i believe that has a like a brown only population oh okay the the long-tailed weasel they, they change colors, They too. change colors, but only in certain regions. Oh. Oh, okay. And so, and there's, and then there's regions spicy. where there's overlap between the weasels that flip, that get, oh. that have their winter And the weasels fur. that, yeah, and the weasels that don't change. So there's, yeah, so there's areas where this exact same species, half of them don't change and half of them change. Hmm. And. So you get them all together and you see if. The ones are able. The ones that do change are able to recognize that other ones are not changing. Well, it's more so the ones, you know, with lesser snowpack. The ones that change earlier or um, you know, previously on time, those are going to be taken out of the population by predation first. Oh, sure. Mm. And so that's going to leave the browner ones or the later changing ones to reproduce the next season. Oh, so okay. So that's just yeah. So yeah. So it's just kind of probably going to be a gradient. Right. For the weasels ah. as they change all to all brown. Okay. And so they're trying with the weasels, they're moving them so that maybe. Maybe moving them so that yeah. weasels that no, they're not moving them. That's not or they're not at not at the moment. Oh, okay. I thought But you like might. that's the kind of thing is like they don't need to move the weasels. Oh, but it because could because they have that kind of overlap. Oh. Um, um and Okay. But potentially getting 
yeah, overlap in different types of, yeah. Yeah, and it's possible that they might eventually want to translocate some of the snowshoe hares, but for other reasons that I will uh, address in just a bit, they might not want to. They They might not need to. Well, also a lot of money. At what point do you interfere? Like, do you just let nature take its course and natural selection gets them? But then, yes, that's going to affect the Canadian lynx and yeah, yeah. and they and they don't know, they don't know how well the how how much success the snowshoe hare will find in climate change. You Mm. know, they might there might be yeah genes that switch on and off they don't know about that you know could help them with like some severe. You know, if you take a, a snowshoe hair from the Yukon and you put it in Florida, what's going to happen? Is it still going to change? It's going to go to the beach. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to go swimming. He's going to read his beach book. Yeah. <laughs> his ro- romance novel. He's going to wiggle his little toe feet. His little larger than large ears and feet. Larger than a regular. Larger than rabbit, rabbit. in the in the sand. Wiggle him around. I'm glad you're learning. Makes sand shoes. <laughs> There's already evidence of varying coat characteristics in the different populations of hares in different regions. The study we just talked about studied snowshoe hares in western Montana. This other study out of Penn State titled Geographic Variation in Winter Adaptions of Snowshoe Hares by L.C. Giglotti, D.R. Diefenbach, and M.J. Sheriff compared snowshoe hares in the Yukon to snowshoe hares in Pennsylvania where the two main differences between those regions is winter temperatures and how long the snow is on the ground. They found that Pennsylvania hares had shorter, less dense, and less white coats, and also produced less body heat. They also found that the Pennsylvania hares favored hiding spots that would hide them from predators rather than ones that offered warmth and protection from the weather. The authors claim that, quote, our results indicate that snowshoe hares may be able to adapt to future climate conditions via changes in pelage characteristics, metabolism, and behavior. The primary author and researcher on this paper even reported in an article by Jeff Moholm that in January 2017, they trapped three hares that were almost completely brown in January. Whoa. Whoa. That is something that has never been recorded in eastern North America. As promising as this discovery sounds, we still don't know for sure if the hares can adapt as quickly as the climate is changing. January is kind of the peak time when all the hares are supposed to be white. Yeah, Yeah. like I think January, I think snow. Yeah, Yeah. you're in the thick of it. Yeah, into the thick of it. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) the thick of it. Because there has been some reported in, like, uh, Washington on the Olympic Peninsula, they weren't brown, but they weren't completely white, mm. or they didn't, they didn't molt mm. completely white. Huh. They kind of... How much snow does the Olympic Peninsula... Oh, they get a lot. They get a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, yeah, the first time they've been, like, reported completely brown... Which is just kind of mind-boggling because that means mm-hmm. that there's already this selection in place for hares that don't molt. Do you think your their metabolism will slow down with future climate change because they won't be like well, slow during the winter months so much? Well, yeah, they're because they won't because the climate's warming and there's going to be warmer temperatures on average. They won't need high metabolism to keep them super warm. Right. Oh. Hares in the Yukon had a higher metabolism. Mm-hmm. Because they needed more body heat to keep them, because it's colder in the Yukon. Our bodies are very variable with that. Yeah. If it's cold outside, your body works harder to keep us warmer. Right. Whereas when it's in right. summertime, it's working hard to then cool right. us down. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 
What do we do? Some of my thoughts. Some of my thoughts. So this, what's what's this called? The photo period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So lots of animals get a, be, will be affected by the temperature change that doesn't match with the photo period. Like, mm-hmm. you know, bears hibernating right. or juncos migrating or whatever. Junkos. But, um, yeah, what do you feel like conclusion do we get from this that, like, we can do or that conservation efforts are being done other than research? Like, what do you feel like comes out of this? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's mostly kind of a wait-and-see game at this point with the hares. Because if they adapt. I mean, there's not... There is a good chance that they will adapt and they will be able to figure it out. All right, we're going to end today's podcast with sort of a riddle. And I'm going to give you three clues and you're going to have to tell me what animal I'm talking about. You can listen to the next podcast to hear the answer. And you can also message us on Instagram at following the tracks what your answer is. And we will let you know if it's right. Here are my three clues. So the first clue is I hang out near bodies of water, so like near streams and lakes. The second clue is you usually hear me before you see me. And the third clue is the females are more colorful than the males. Hmm. What am I? If you want to see more from me, you can follow me at Giselle Ray of Sunshine on Instagram. I draw lots of animal-related art. I'm very recently into film photography. You can see that. The handle on Insta is Sid Garland. You can follow this podcast on Instagram at Following the Tracks. Thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed Following the Tracks with us. Our sources for this episode include Camouflage Mismatch in Seasonal Coat Color Due to Decreased Snow Duration by L. Scott Mills, Marquita Zamova, Jared Euler, Stephen Running, John T. Abatzoglu, and Paul M. Lukacs published on April 30th, 2013, in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences of the United States of America, the National Park Service on Snowshoe Hares, the National Wildlife Federation on Snowshoe Hares, Water and Woods, Bergman's Rule by Kevin A. Gardner, the Wikipedia page for polyphenism, geographic variation in winter adaptations of snowshoe hares from cdnsciencepub.com, There's Hope for the Snowshoe Hares Despite Climate Change by Jeff Mulhelm from Futurity.org. Wolf Protections Restored Across Most of the U.S. on EarthJustice.org. United States District Court, Northern District of California, Defenders of Wildlife v. U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Wild Earth Guardians v. U.S. Department of the Interior, NRDC v. U.S. Department of the Interior, Order Resolving Cross Motions for Summary Judgment, February 10, 2022. And Geographic Variation in Winter Adaptations of Snowshoe Hares by L.C. Geloidy, D.R. Diefenbach, and M.J. Sheriff. Published on May 8, 2017 in the NRC Research Press. Listened this far and want to know how to support this podcast? Consider donating to our Patreon. This will help us pay for our microphones and monthly podcasting fees for accounts like RSS. You can find us at patreon.com backslash following the tracks. I'm a cow. (laughs) God bless. This podcast is sponsored by Dan Ray. Alligator lizards in the air. In the air.